the manufacturers have bought into a premise that is faulty. Yep. They have bought into the premise that I can get my products digitized without understanding what that means. Exactly. They think, okay, now we're up on the web. People are going to buy from us. And, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, going into a Unilog site is like going into Granger. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a nightmare. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm, Elevate IQ. Do you know an e-commerce platform that can handle all your content and data needs for you? Do you know an e-commerce platform that is really targeted at B2B companies and has rebuilt integrations with several industrial B2B ERP systems. Do you know an e-commerce platform that has a similar go-to-market strategy as Optimizely? If you guessed Unilog, then you are right. In today's episode, we invited a panel of industry experts for a live discussion on LinkedIn to conduct an independent review of Unilog's capabilities. We covered its strengths, such as its unique services for content creation that are extremely friendlier for the buying groups. Finally, we discussed its pros and cons and its similarity with other B2B e-commerce platforms such as AppServer or Optimizely. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We review one vendor of the solution related to e-commerce. For today, we are going to be reviewing a solution called Unilog. And it's a very unique solution, the way it has uni it's in, in its name, I guess. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, Sam Gupchap is at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP, e-commerce, and digital transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move to Robert for his intro. Hi, Robert Brown from Robert Brown E-commerce Consultancy. I help small to medium-sized businesses move in the e-commerce space. Hey, amazing. Thank you so much for uh, being here, Robert. And if you're in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys uh, post your questions and comments. We typically try to cover them during the show. If we run out of time, we will make sure you receive your answer. So on that note, Robert, I am going to offer my commentary overall, uh, you know, the positioning, a little bit of evolution, origin of this particular solution and where I see them uh, fit in the value chain uh, overall, obviously, when we look at the e-commerce marketplace, uh, there are like million solutions. And sometimes it just blows my mind how fragmented overall this market is. And all of these solutions, for some reason, I mean, they 
sometimes have very, very, very large logos. So in the case of Unilog, Unilog is a very interesting solution as well. Number one, um, this is probably the first one that we have reviewed. And you can remind me, I don't recall if we have come across any other solutions that were built in India. Uh, as far as e-commerce goes, we have reviewed an ERP solution in the other series that was from India. But e-commerce product, I don't know how many are there. So go ahead, Robin. No, no, I, I very few. This, this is the first one we have reviewed. Yeah, and they have a very interesting background as well. So the, they were a consulting firm that they figured out, okay, that we wanted to build a product. Um, uh, I think the founder's son joined the company as well. He worked for a consulting firm, and these consulting firms obviously do very large engagements overall from the e-commerce perspective. But uh, when you look at the product expertise, uh, not sure how many uh, Indian companies can really pull off the e-commerce product. By the way, ACL Commerce, we did review, and they have done a wonderful job after acquiring it from IBM. So obviously, the product marketplace is sort of picking up in India as well, which is just wonderful. We have seen solutions from uh, you know France, Germany. Where else did we review from? Obviously, North America, there's no question about that. I don't know. Okay, sorry, Brazil. Uh, Vtex, we have reviewed. They are from Brazil. What else am I missing? Um, go ahead. No, so the you know the, the locations that we we've talked about is we've mostly talked about um, the U.S., Germany, France, Brazil. That's primarily it. We haven't really hit anywhere else. Yeah, I guess you know I think uh, if you look at the big ones, and big ones are not necessarily from the U.S. That is that is shocking because Shopify is really from Canada. And, right. you know, I, <laughs> uh, Shopify is from Canada. The commerce, they started in Australia. Uh, that's my recollection. Uh, then they moved to the U.S., um, you know. Um, but the other ones, I don't know. I mean, the commerce tools, I guess, all of the new ones, headless ones are probably. From, uh, we have a big penetration overall from Germany. I think Germany is, is probably the heaviest hitter. In my experience, I think Europe is where the major segmentation is uh, from the platform perspective. So, okay, so let's look at the go-to-market strategy of this company, how they are trying to penetrate the market, where they are fit. So in my mind, when I look at their business model, their business model is going to be very similar to App Server or Optimizely. Okay, and uh, Robert, I don't know whether you uh, remember uh, overall the way App Server sort of evolved. Um, I think they got one executive from SAP. That's my recollection. Um, that's how, and that's why they sort of rebranded um, that company. But overall, the way Appy Server grew, they were very core B2B solution. They were one of the most focused on B2B solution. Um, you know, if you look at the the in the suite or out of the box functionality of e-commerce solutions, Appy Server has the most pre-baked functionality for e-commerce, and they are also going to have the most pre-baked integration with the industrial ERP systems. And there are very specific ERP systems that are really in the industrial B2B space. And those are going to be your Apicore Profit 21, Apicore Eclipse, uh, Infor SXE. Uh, what else? Acumatica, now they are trying to penetrate that market. So you are going to see all of these integrations with Appy Server. And that's exactly what uh, Unilog is trying to do. They might not have as many pre-baked integration when we look at the reviews, uh, you know, sometimes they are going to claim that they have integration, but they might, might not be as pre-baked as you are going to find probably in the API server ecosystem. One thing that Unilog has done differently than I don't think 
anybody else has done and that's probably their secret sauce of success what they are trying to do is not only they are trying to uh, help from the platform perspective but they are also helping the industrial b2b companies in building the data and some of these b2b companies could have millions and millions of SKUs. And I really don't know how to build content for millions. Uh, if you are going to start your channel, it's going to be so expensive. And I don't know how much revenue you can generate. So that's where their secret sauce is. What they have been able to figure out, it's very unique uh, in general. And that's probably the reason why they have attention of the buying groups, which is a very unique concept in the industrial B2B space. So I'm going to pause there, Robert. Uh, you know, I don't know if you're going to have any sort of commentary there. And then I'll build up uh, on top of whatever um, your comments are going to be. Yeah, so I think their go-to-market strategy is is they're hand-holding these suppliers, B2B suppliers, with large SKU count, converting yeah. that into digital format because they were used to having paper. Yep. And, and making it rich modern data as opposed yep. to you know incomplete and that is timely and costly you know looking at some of the customers that they have i think that is probably how they're selling it hard because when you look at what you know you just do a quick search like who is unilog's customer yeah they've, they've got it wrong now i know that um sites like gartner are pay to play so when you type in a keyword they're gonna you know put up a search results page, then, you know, whoever's going to bid on that. So the search results that you get are like Shopify and big commerce, Shopify and big commerce are not doing the same thing. They are not converting yes. core data. That's, yep. that's the differentiator. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I think, you know, and I, I don't want to call out Gartner there. Obviously they are running a large company. And sometimes, you know, when they are looking at these competitors, they, they are looking at the deal flow, you know, in terms of what customers are really evaluating. So there might be cases where customers may have evaluated, let's say, Shopify, BitCommerce, along with Unilog. But the way I and I'm a little bit confused overall in terms of positioning of Unilog, um, I don't know if they are really the enterprise play, to be honest, but they have a very unique play. OK, so they have really large logo in the buying group and the way buying groups are structured, they are very different overall from the business operations perspective. So typically, they are going to have a fixed set of SKUs that each of their members are trying to sell. So they are sort of trying to streamline the processes from there. So their overall SKU count is going to be very uh, large. The, sim the, the, the way your marketplaces work, for example, if you look at any of the marketplaces, they also sort of create this crowdsourcing sort of con concept of SKUs. And what these buying groups are trying to do is they are going to have discount for their members. They are going to be doing group purchasing. So one of the unique things, again, that's a very interesting go-to-market strategy. So what these guys have done is they most of the SKUs that the member distributors, and if you look at their logos, Robert, uh, for example, AD uh, is their customer. There is another one. I, I believe Orgel is their customer as well. So if you look at the Orgel and AD, they are like one of the largest ecosystems. Uh, okay, if you can penetrate in that, you don't need any more customers. Uh, that's how this big these ecosystems are. And a majority of them, what they are going to have, they are going to have their own trade shows. The way they work, the way their business models are, uh, you know, it's very similar. Every single member is trying to do, be a cap copycat of the other member. That's how their businesses work. Um, and that's where Unilog is really successful. Now, here is my problem with this business, especially when you look at the e-commerce play. So what these guys have done, Unilog, when you look at their strategy, 
they have all of this collective SKU database that they are keeping in their database, okay? So now, anytime you are going to have, let's say, you are a distributor, you are selling a subset of the entire SKU bucket that your buying group may have. So you might be selling 40,000 SKUs, 10,000 SKUs, whatever. So now, Unilog already has the catalog for those 1 million SKUs that the whole buying group is going to. So the only thing they need to do is they need to, uh, you know, get the spreadsheet. Okay, give me your SKU number. And, uh, you know, you are going to have some sort of description. I already have the descriptions, okay? So they are simply going to spit that. So from your calculation, Robert, if I remember correctly, uh, you know, in one of the sessions that you had mentioned, if you are building just one page for one product, it takes roughly 40 hours of effort in building the content and doing the pages, right? That's what you had mentioned. Now, let's do a little math here. Uh, you know, so if you're looking at 1 million SKUs, uh, 40 hours, how many hours are we talking about? And how many years of effort and how many people, Robert? Yeah, it's it's a lot. I mean, you know, granted, so 40 hours of effort from the second you bring on a new product. So there's the research in the product to understand exactly who the buyers are, to understand what the keywords are that are going to allow it to be returned in the search results page, right? Yeah. Um, it's going to have to be the imagery. So you have to take the imagery, the videos, yep. you have to format it to the page. You, you have to test it to make sure that it shows up in the various screen sizes, right? So there's, exactly. there's the data collection, there's the imagery collection, and then there's the, the actually merchandising it on the page and testing it before you go live. And that takes a lot of work, Re writing the descriptions, you know? Because most, so there's two ways to write the descriptions. There's one, you literally just copy the manufacturer's description. And if you do that, you are not going to help yourself at all in terms exactly. of search results and SEO, because there's going to be 40 others out there that have the exact same description. So exactly. you're going to be lost on like page three of results. If you change the description into the voice of your company, yeah, you know, then that takes time. Exactly. Exactly. So, <laughs> And so what I find is with large organizations like, um, you know, sellers that sell millions of products, yeah, they don't do any of that personalization. They just grab it and load it. Now, I have not yet seen any AI tools that, that you can tweak and say, go through my catalog, change the voice to X and rewrite it. Right. So there are AI tools that I have seen in the commerce space where companies have utilized and they have been reasonably, I would say overall from the traffic perspective, but obviously Google is becoming very smart as well in detecting these. And the recent update that they are going to do obviously is going to detect these things. If you're going to have machine generated content, Google is not going to like that. Now let's touch on your comment related to utilizing the manufacturer description. Obviously, based on the money that these guys are charging Unilog, they are not writing the content for each of you. Okay, no. obviously they are taking shortcuts. Okay, so what they have done again, since these SKUs are going to be standardized across the region, so again they have created the database for that. So it's not going to be manufactured as description; it's going to be Unilog's description of those products. But let's say if uh, AD is trying to recommend that every single of their member distributors are going to be using analog. So what Unilog is going to do, so you have distribution number one, who is using Unilog. Distributor number two, Unilog. Their product descriptions are going to appear exactly the same. So 
you are not going to rank so what's the point of e-commerce so that's my problem with the business model even though they are able to get the large accounts but they are defeating the whole purpose of e-commerce in my mind <laughs> but robert i don't know if you agree with me on this. no i i agree with you completely so the the manufacturers have bought into a premise that is faulty yep they have bought into the premise that i can get my products digitized without understanding what that means exactly they think okay now we're up on the web people are going to buy from us and you know i don't know about you but this, you know going into a unilog site is like going into granger yeah it's 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 a nightmare it is <laughs> <laughs> you know if i've got to order god forbid you know if if i'm a, a small custom manufacturer and i need to go in and order 150 parts for a custom piece that i need to have you know in two weeks for citibank um you know it's going to take me quite a while to order all those custom pieces because i have to find them make sure that they have them in stock and if they don't have them in stock i need to go find somebody else that does have them in stock so i can get them in so my production doesn't slow down it's 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 awful yeah but to be fair i guess with unilog as well you know if you look at the sites of most of the distributors uh, we have looked at the sites built by epicover as well i would not say that they were particularly attractive this is what you get i mean you have to look like we distributor i guess <laughs> If you're going to look like Shopify, I don't know who's going to take you seriously, I guess. <laughs> See, and the study I don't have, and I don't have anybody that has actually talked about it, many of these distributors got their start with brick and mortar. Yeah. So they developed a reputation based around like Graybar, right? So Graybar Electric, they, they have had um, local facilities around New Jersey for a very long time. I have visited yeah. many of them when I was doing, you know, work for my homes and you know you pick up these products and so you know who they are so if you need something oh i'll just go to gray bar right well how many customers that don't know them from that brick and mortar experience that exactly. just you know find them digitally i don't know what that funnel looks like for them because i don't think they have marketing teams out there doing that yep yeah, interesting commentary. So if you don't have any other comments, let's uh, do some slides and then we'll come back to the commentary again. Um, so here, as we had pointed out, so Unilog Content Solutions is a global technology company specializing in e-commerce and product data management. So that's a unique layer there as well. I think their core has always been that deep product data management expertise. And one of the things, they, they, the other thing that they have done differently uh, as part of their platform their platform is very much like ERP. And in the B2B space, in my opinion, your data structure and the data model has to be very ERP-like, uh, even if you are trying to integrate it. Otherwise, you are probably going to have challenges. And that's why I like Unilog's data model a lot, the way they have done. Even though your site may not look as pretty, but you are not going to have as many challenges from the integration perspective. And if you are doing back and forth integration, especially when you are going to have a million SKUs, uh, you know, your ERP needs to be integrated with e-commerce. Otherwise, you are probably going to have a lot of challenges. Um, so their flagship product is uh, CIMM2, uh, a software platform designed to facilitate commerce and communication between businesses. Uh, as I mentioned, they are from India. I think this is the only e-commerce platform uh, that is from India. And they, in 2016, I mean, they won a lot of awards. 50 fastest growing company, tech companies uh, by the Silicon Review. So obviously they have done something 
uh, right there. And obviously, all of the e-commerce influencers, uh, Robert, as you know, I think, you know, Brian Beck is involved with uh, this one. Gartner is, uh, you know, they have reviewed these guys as well, uh, as you pointed out. So, yeah, so everybody is, is on top of these guys for sure. So they are definitely part of the mainstream e-commerce platform. Um, <laughs> in 2001, Unilox employee... Okay, so there was some some problems with the dot com bust. I think that is a very similar story as your demand where not demand where um, intershop intershop right. I think intershop we had the same problem. They they had a lift dip, you know, during sorry um, during dot com. So I don't have anything here. This is the affiliated distributor is the buying group that I was trying to mention that they acquired. That is one, and I believe they have Oracle as well. And again, those two are one of the largest buying groups uh, that anybody can have. They have really strong community. So that's a big win. And here they are saying uh, Unilog began its partnership with independent hardline distributor Orgel uh, to make their e-commerce platform. And th that was happening somewhere in 2016, if I remember, or 2017. So none of the recent headless vendors were there at that time. So I don't know how the market is going to change. But I still believe in the pre-baked integration. So I still feel Unilog and Episerver, they both are going to have significant edge overall in the B2B market because of their pre-baked integration in my mind. Um, some more, uh, Robert, comment? No. No? Okay. So here we have the cost to deploy. And obviously this is uh, the alarming comment that you were trying to mention, Robert. So I don't know if you want to cover this. Do you, you want to take over here? Sure. $250,000 to $450,000 implementation fee for this solution is astronomically crazy. It's, you know, aside from the monthly subscription fee of $48,000 based on transaction volume and number of SKUs and number of users, it's like it is the most convoluted um, pricing structure that we typically see in businesses. It should be really straightforward. You know, so it's, unfortunately there's, there's this entire camp in B2B that hasn't embraced make it simple for the customer to figure out, you know, to self-identify. And instead they, they force you to go down the sales conversation of, you know, can I afford you? Can I not? I think, you know, when you look at 250,000 to $450,000 from implementation, I mean, that's, that's more expensive than some of the middle market ERPs. Yeah. But I mean, in my experience, Robert, okay. So if you are going to have customers like Orgel and AD and where, and the way I like to compare them is, so I don't know, uh, how well you understand the concept of buying groups, to be honest, okay? So this is very similar to Toyota and Honda business model. So in this particular case, what they are trying to do is, let's say you go to Toyota and you tell them that I, you have an offering for your dealer. Now, imagine how many dealers you are going to have in your ecosystem. So you are not only providing it for Toyota, you are also providing it for their dealer network. So this is exactly what they are trying to do. So if they if they are charging, let's say, 250000 to eighty. That's peanuts <laughs> based on the, the the size of the company they are. But if they are charging that amount for their distributors, that's probably high. So I think there is a little distinction there in terms of what they might be doing. We don't have enough details to be able to find out who they are charging. Again, you know, if you're going after these big boys, that's that's nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's. We have a really hard time um, drawing a clear definition for for some of our listeners as to you know where they fit in this landscape. Yeah, dollar makes it really simple to self-identify. Exactly, exactly. Could not agree more. Okay, so here's some more commentary. Number of CIMM to clients uh, from 17 to more than 30. 
and I, I guess they are going after really big clients. I'm a little confused. I don't think they can handle the enterprise workload, you know, because the way buying groups work is very different from the way, let's say, if you are selling it to Home Depot, that's going to be a very different business model. So it's a different business model. Uh, I'm I'm really not sure if their target market is really these buying groups or it is going to be the enterprise company. But it's very interesting. So here they have some of the clients are Mayor Electric Supply. And these are slightly more mid-market companies, right, uh, Robert? Um, yeah. I don't think they are as big. That's, obviously, Thermo Fisher is, is like humongous. There's no question about that. They are really big. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of these, like Fisher Scientific, huge. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they are able to do enterprise-level workload. And again, if you are selling at that capacity, uh, yeah, this is not as expensive in my mind. Um, yeah. Um, here, supplyforce.com, another very, and again, when you look at supplyforce.com, it's not even e-commerce play. It's more of the platform play, to be honest. Okay, supplyforce is more like Ariba and Coupa. So now you are providing technology for Ariba and Coupa, not necessarily e-commerce it's a different market altogether but you know again you require very different design so the way they started they really started in this whole network concept which is a very different data model uh, business operations model uh, than your traditional commerce company in my mind uh, so this is where they have designed their business to business.com portal where major companies like aerospace manufacturer the boeing co and this is a very ariba centric and the punch out uh, centric business model and they provided sort of technology for them. They are saying supplyforce.com was ahead of its time and offline channels accounted for most of its sales for several years. But over the past four years, okay, some commentary there. I don't see anything meaningful. So this is their e-commerce sales. It's not a lot. So they got from what? Roughly up to 450 million is, is not as much. And by the way, I mean, Supply Force is the sister company of affiliated distributors as well. Uh, so obviously they are going after all of the companies that are going to be in their port. And they all are going to have very different business models in general. But, you know, the way, again, the, the, the whole idea of buying group is to create that network effect. And that's what they are trying to do. And Supply Force is a very different business model in general. Okay, so some more uh, commentary here. So one of the things that they have done very uniquely is also in their SEO offering. And I don't think we have seen this uh, in other platforms. They have other platforms have done uh, some customization overall from the indexing perspective. But here, I guess they are offering a lot more. So and again, when you are going to have these many SKUs, you will require a lot more automation. And that's why these guys probably had to do this, where you are literally replacing uh, you know, any sort of part number that is going to have any special character. Obviously, Google is not going to like that. So they are trying to make it more meaningful from the SEO perspective, more uh, programmatically as opposed to doing it manually. Um, so I sort of like the way they have done. And again, this problem is going to be relevant for companies that are going to have a lot of... You know, one of the things that I, I see here, and, you know, I've personally experienced this, is... <clears throat> what data the manufacturer has and what data it doesn't and how you're going to fill in the difference. Like one of the big ones that I find that, that's missing frequently is dimensions. Exactly. And there there are a number of them. So it gets, gets really confusing. So there's the actual part dimension. Yeah. There is the part dimension in its box. Yeah. Or its packaging, whatever yeah, that may be. Dimensions, yeah. And then there is the dimensions in the shipping. Yep. I and 
And it becomes incredibly difficult for a shipping manager to project, and this is part of the 40 hours, it becomes incredibly difficult for the shipping manager to determine the best shipping methodology for a part if you don't have standardized part measurements. Right. So I think there, there are a lot of different layers. So typically, if you're looking at companies that are doing, let's say, fulfillment right from the e-commerce platform, those would be very Typically, the fulfillment goes through your ERP if you're doing internal fulfillment, unless you are dropshipping. If you are dropshipping, that's a different story. So right. in this particular case, if you're looking at the core attribute, that has to go through your ERP. And ERP sometimes can augment the data uh, that you might not have in your e-commerce platform. Sometimes that you that might need to come from your manufacturer. So depending upon the information flow, I guess, uh, you know, I, I guess there are a lot of layers in that conversation. Yeah, there's, there's you know, so when you're, because usually um, you have to do DIM. And yep. if you're going to do DIM, then you also have to have the weight and you have to compare it to the different shippers. Yep. And unfortunately, not all manufacturers provide that information. And so that is something that anybody taking a look at a platform has to consider for their own data is, do you have the data for, for you to effectively manage this? And if you don't, how are you going to supplement it? Now, if, if Unilog is going to be supplementing that data for you, that is a big plus. I know that, you know, we at WBS Rocks and, you know, the, the Friday afternoon um, coffee hour that we have, you know, we have talked about that supplementing data and, and the efforts around that. Exactly. And by the way, Unilog is doing that. And that's a huge value add. OK, so you are going to give them in complete skew and they are going to complete. Uh, <laughs> that's that's massive. Yep. Um, and that's why they are winning these. Um, okay, so uh, this is the database. Okay, so this is how your SKU is going to look when you are probably going to get from your manufacturers, and this is how they are going to convert. Obviously, this is a very automated process, as you can see. Um, the challenge that I personally have this is because it's not going to be personalized, and as Robert pointed out, that this is probably not going to be as SEO friendly in my mind. Uh, again, they might do a little bit of customization, personalization, uh, you know, but that's going to be similar to AI-based personalization because obviously you have a little template there that they are following. <laughs> so I, I, I really don't know how well you are going to score uh, or rank on uh, Google. Um, so I like the concept uh, overall in terms of the time that they are trying to save. It's great from the investment perspective, but from Google's perspective, I'm not really sure. Well, so this, like, there are some people that are going to take a look at this page design and go, oh, man, look at all that data. It's gorgeous. It's great. Yeah, I know. And I look at it and go, oh, my God, the UX designers are going to just have a cow because this is the giant wall of words that nobody can read. And and what the typical person's going to want is they're going to want much larger images. They're going to want 360 you know, degree view of it. They're going to want to be able to spin it. They're going to want a video of it. They you know, maybe want some user generated content so they can actually maybe some ratings so that they can understand, you know, okay, I see this part. This is the part that I need. Is this the right part for me? What does everybody else think that they've, they've offered it? And this design, the, the layout of all the content just makes it really difficult to consume it. So I would be slightly careful there, uh, to be honest, okay? So if you look at the B2B industrial space, and this is where I think the buyer persona is going to be super critical as well. I completely agree with your UX perspective that probably your designer is not going to be happy with this. But if you look at most of the B2B platform, they are probably going to appeal to, okay? Uh, mm -hmm. So, and and it's not that they don't understand design, okay? 
it's about buyers expectations in terms of what they are looking and most of the buyers in the industrial space are going to be people like contractors uh you know they are going to be mechanics okay and they don't necessarily want fancy images to be on okay you might be shocked with that uh, because for them what they are looking for is quick way of finding the information these dimensions so they are seeing this as a as a list and that's why b2b sites probably look like this to be honest <laughs> okay obviously there's a better way of doing this but the reason some of these b2b sites appear this way is because these buyer they are very i would say different buyers because they have different expectations if this were for more of the shopping brand where let's say if you are targeting you know female in in 20s you know obviously they will hate it <laughs> Right. So, uh, and, and this is where it's really important to, to know your customer, right? So exactly. know how your customer is going to use your site and have, have actually done the studies to understand what's the most effective way for that, that persona for your site. Exactly. You know, exactly. Are they going to hit the search bar first? Or are they going to go, are they going to use the architecture? Are they going to go down through the, the menu trees? You know, what data are they looking at first? Um, you know, I know that some of the buyers may not, they may look for a secondary product. If the primary product they're looking for is out of stock, they're going to go look for a secondary product. So how easy do you, you know, is your referral like, you know, buyers that bought this may want this or here's an alternative if it's out of stock, you know, do you supply that? So that's just something. Yeah, great comment, Robert. So obviously, Robert, you are probably not going to be happy with UX here either. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of, uh, you know, things that are going on here. But at the same time, let's say if I am working as the product manager, and if I see four fields where I need to look at 16 fields or 60 fields uh, on a screen, sometimes that could be very uncomfortable as well. Uh, you know, this, <laughs> this is just your typical power user screen, right? You know, so in the back end of almost any major system, insurance systems, hospital systems, um, you know, e-commerce systems, they all look like this. Exactly. And it's a very ERP-centric design, to be honest, if you look at it. But, you know, for power users, probably this is what you mean. Uh, yeah. They really like it. I mean, I personally like it, to be, you know, I, I, I don't like the newer interfaces where I need to click 15 times to fill out my form. I would rather have one form where I can quickly scroll and look at, you know, what is happening. Yep. Um, so again, I think it's it's the user uh, that matters a lot. Um, so I like the way they have organized the information, especially for the market segment that they are covering, because obviously these users are also jumping in between your ERP and e-commerce. And if the experience is going to be too off, then they won't appreciate. Either they are not going to appreciate ERP or they are not going to appreciate e-commerce. Yeah, this, this I mean, if, if you look at this design, this, this literally looks like it came off a green screen, Unix, yep. right? And it was just transferred to net and just boxes. And, you know, the only, the only difference is going to be is what goes where so the power user can find what they need fast. Yeah, that's it. Exactly, exactly. But you know what? I mean, if you look at the details, the amount of details that they are able to capture for the B2B verticals, you probably need all of this. Uh, okay. And I don't know if we have seen, um, they have things such as uh, sales unit of measure. And again, that's a very ERP term, uh, but you probably need that inside the e-commerce as well, depending upon how your workflows are set up. Then you have the competitor part number, which is very unique as well. They are able to do the linked items. Uh, obviously, we have done some of the linked items, uh, which is the cross-sell upsell that is available in a lot of different platforms. Uh, but the way they are doing it more from the tree perspective on the left side, 
that could be extremely handy uh, in navigating the tree for the product. And again, uh, you know, the, sorry, I am the slides. Um, so uh, I kind of like the product structure, the way it is structured. Again, based on the kind of excuse these guys are going to have, because they are going to have millions and millions of attributes uh, for each of the product and organizing that information in one screen is very hard in general. Um, so I like the way it is built and they have some very unique elements for the B2B industrial distributors that they are probably not going to find in any other platforms. Now, the other thing I really appreciate in this platform is going to be, and again, the, the whole UI and the design and the logo uh, is probably from 80s. Okay, it's really bad. Uh, you know, when you are buying an e-commerce platform, you would expect that they have figured out their own marketing before teaching you how to <laughs> do the marketing. So obviously, these guys don't uh, understand how the UX and the, and the design works. But if you look at the, the core capabilities, okay? So what they are trying to do is for any of the promotions, the banners are going to be super as well. And that's where I like this platform a lot, okay? So when you are going to have the unique banner for a promo, and again, I don't think we have seen that functionality with any other platforms where you are actually aligning your marketing material with your promos. So here, your products are going to be aligned, your promotions are going to be aligned, your discounts and pages, and then you have the banners. Well, I like that a lot, especially for B2B. Yeah, uh, we, haven't seen, we haven't seen this in another B2B um, outfit. In B2C, you see that more often. Uh, X, do you, Xcart used to have something similar to that. Interesting. Okay, that I don't think we have reviewed Xcart, uh, no. so I think that's on our list, I, I believe. Do you recall any other platform, uh, Robert, Shopify, BigCommerce, by any chance, have you seen? Not that I recall. Um, okay, so very interesting. So, again, when you're going to look at their UX and UI, I know, Robert, you are not liking it. Um, but <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure this is not going to be as seamless. I can almost guarantee that the way the UI is built, there, there are going to be a lot of bugs and defects because obviously the technology is not as, uh, as you might be able to notice on the interface itself. And we have some reviews that can confirm this as well. But it does have similar customizability. It's not modern. <laughs> it's all relative. Super it's modern. It's relative to the maturity of the place that it came from, from a digital standpoint. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I do like a few things about this platform. So this is a similar architecture from the UI perspective. Uh, you know, the big API server was. So it's really uh, API server uh, design philosophy uh, inspired. I don't know how to put it, uh, put it, put that in in, in words. Uh, but it's a very similar structure, and that could be very handy when you're working on a lot of pages, a lot of complex uh, hierarchy. Um, so I, I like it a lot for the B two B market segment. Search driven promotions, and again, that's very unique term that they have used, and I don't think we have seen that in any other platforms, which is very, very, very unique. Anonymous shopping, and I don't know how you are going to perceive this one, Robert. Uh, I would guess this is very similar to what we have seen in the case of, let's say, Sitecore had the anonymous personalization, if I remember correctly, which is the one that we reviewed recently that was doing unified commerce, uh, the one that was with private equity. So, I mean, there, there's a difference here between the B2C experience and the B, um, B2B experience. And so anonymous shopping in this case is choose whether you allow anonymous credit card shopping on your site. Well, by nature of using credit card, it can't be anonymous, right? 
Okay, there is a difference from the e-commerce perspective and I want to make sure that we are covering that. So the way these guys are uh, trying to position this is when you are going to have a guest user. So you are right, okay? Uh, from the nomenclature perspective, when you are getting a name or whatever, from the credit card perspective, you can technically use that date, but you are probably not supposed to use uh, because there is a compliance issue, okay? So just because you have a guest and that is coming to your site and swiping a credit card as a guest, they are considered to be anonymous. Unless they provide the information, they create an account, then it is considered to be a logged in user. Then you can do whatever you want with their information. But you are not supposed to be using your, their credit card information. Right. And typically, most like Authorized.net and most of the other merchant services um, groups do not want it going through your own server. And that's why they actually create the tunnel directly to them. To, exactly. To protect it. And so in that case, it can be still, an, you know, you kind of lose that anonymous piece, right? So if you're going to use a credit card, fine. The, the credit card does not go to the site, but if you're buying it, you still need to give them information so they can ship it to you. Right, but that is still considered anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, so there's, there's anonymous shopping. So we're talking about, you know, I so not using credit card, but I can actually go through your site anonymously and you won't know who I am. So there will, will be very little personalization unless you have a really sophisticated data capturing model. Right. I guess the anonymity in my experience from the e-commerce perspective, that is more in terms of whether I am retaining your data for your next transaction. That's how anonymousness is referred right. in typically in e-commerce transactions. So right. yes, you are giving all the shipping information. I get it, but I'm not going to store in my database just right. because you did not tell me that you want to create your account on my site. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So in this particular case, I don't know whether this is more of the context of B2B versus B2C. So in this particular case, they are saying anonymous shopping, but this is a B2B platform. So mo most likely they are allowing some of the guest users to be able to shop as well, even though they might belong to an account. And it gets really heavy overall in those workflows. It's very, very complex. And, um, yeah, because I mean, most of the B2B um, instances we've seen that are more sophisticated where they have special pricing for you know, select business customers. Yeah. You certainly can't offer that in an anonymous mode because you no. have to be able to identify yourself exactly. to get it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why obviously that's sort of a hook uh, for these companies to encourage you to log in because they want you to log in so that they can identify who's buying and obviously the price is going to be more. So you're absolutely right. Okay. So flexible payment options. And obviously when we look at their integrations, they are not as robust as some of the other platforms that we have in the market, but they do have offer payment by a purchase order, which is a very interesting way of paying. And I don't know how that is going to work from the workflow perspective and not even sure if that is very unique to how buying groups might work. Um, I have seen purchase order initiating the transaction, but I have never seen purchase order paying for the transaction. So that's very unique for me. Um, and the one, the two that are surprisingly, well, the one that is surprisingly missing from here is Stripe. Exactly, exactly. But I don't know how many B2B customers are going to be doing Stripe unless you have some B2B. Well, it's not, it's not B2C credit so much as it's just, it, it is a very well-known entity. And a lot of people are starting to become very unhappy with PayPal and Venmo. Right. If you are a B2C business where you have a lot of consumers, then you are probably going to be using a site to process the credit cards. In the case of B2B, typically your payments are going to be done by checks, EFT. ECH, yep. Exactly. Um, because, you know, these 
transactions are very huge uh, you know overall in terms of size $50,000 3% on credit card fee good luck with that <laughs> i don't know who's covering for that so these are some of the integration and again they have integration with one of the top uh, you know industrial b2b systems so they have acumatica they have um, you know champex ddi system inform erp distribution one uh, eboss apicor eagle apicor eclipse apicor preclude profit 21 one of the best you know erp system out there in the industry sxe import product one of the best uh, jd edwards enterprise one obviously big focus on b2b uh, industrial space and then they have with the microsoft ax and, and nav as well which is sort of decent in the industrial space they are not as penetrated but they have that integration as well uh, then marketing integration they have a lot then they have channel advisor obviously very common uh, then they are in the salesforce ecosystem because they have Microsoft connectivity uh, rockwell configurator so a lot of um, you know penetration overall from the integration perspective but when you look at their shipping okay the only thing they have is fedex ups usps so most likely you are probably going to require a shipping add-on there, uh, but payment shipping, they are not as, uh, you know, penetrated, I would say in that, but the other integration, they have a lot. I think that the entire shipping piece, they're going to be relying on like the ERP, but that's not really an e-commerce piece of that. Like, you know, no DHL, no like ship station. Exactly. And I, I guess that's a, that's a great point because if the shipping is all going to be done in the B2B space, uh, you know, in your fulfillment channel, which is either going to be WMS or it is going to be TMS or it's going to be ERP. Typically, those systems are the ones who are going to be handling the fulfillment in most mm -hmm. industrial product categories. Um, so, or, you know, if you have a, a brick and mortar store, then you are sort of collecting, but then those brick and mortar would not go through this platform, I guess, because they don't probably have the POS presence for this one. Okay, so some more, uh, you know, commentary related to their unique content writing so we take basic manufacturer data transform it into rich marketing driven content that attracts customer and generated sales or enhanced product content increases search rankings no it does not and provides customer a best of product information so again this is great but again this is coming from a database so you need to keep that in mind we source edit enhance product images to create a consistent images i can agree that they obviously have uh, you know a little friendliness overall from the labor rate perspective so they might be able to do a lot on the images. That's easy. But creating content, uh, and again, they are trying to focus on a specific vertical. So they have a little subject matter expertise on the product as well. Uh, but the content has to come from the customer. <laughs> they have to create their own content. Yeah, it's like that's a bit of an overreach or a bit of an oversell. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we have. We we have. Uh, it used to be. It used to be called Jarvis, and I forget what the new name of it is. Um, the AI bot that, you know, rewrites your content based on the content that you put into us and connected to SEM rush to find the keywords for that particular content. And I didn't, you know, it's like, no, you're not doing that. Exactly. exactly. In, in the voice of Ted Nugent. Yeah, exactly. But Robert, I'm, I'm actually going to re reference one case study where I have seen personally, okay, they had generated AI content and did it decently overall. So I don't know uh, how Google is going to be as of today, uh, but I have seen cases where they generate, and again, your choice is going to be either you don't generate any content or you generate some content from machine. Okay, so what are you going to choose? Now, with the new update of Google, it's slightly trickier. And the reason why it is trickier is because if they are going to have a lot of pages that are going to be machine generated, they are going to lower down your ranking. Um, right. I mean, so you can you can automate um, 
the creation of content with AI. However, I have yet to see the automation of creation of content that has been SEO optimized because it's, it's, it's the title, it's the keywords, it's, and that changes on a day-to-day basis. And so going through and looking at the rankings for the keywords and the off keywords and the negative keywords and yeah. all that other fun stuff and plugging that in there, I haven't seen a tool that does that yet. It's a lot of work. It yeah. takes a lot of work. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, some more commentary here. So here they are saying 100% of uh, 100% of our customer sites in the Google Cloud Platform, that's what they are using. The environment allows for rapid development and code fixes. So they are saying that if I'm deployed on GCT, I'm good. Obviously required the architecture and design as well, but hopefully they can figure that out because obviously they have background in these kind of systems. So here, uh, one more comment. If you're a member of affiliated distributors or an Orgel dealer, uh, you have access to a robust catalog of enriched product data courtesy of Unilog. So obviously, you know, again, the reason why they are going after these buying groups is because they understand their SKUs, they, they understand their product catalog, so it's just easier. I don't think that is going to be applicable for other distributor or the industry segment. That's why this platform is really good for the buying groups and buying group members. I'm not too sure about the other industrial distributors. Yeah, so this, this actually goes to um, the conversation that you and I had a couple of weeks ago about coming up with a way to show, display, graph, where this really works well and yeah. this tool works really well for like those buying groups yep and we haven't covered tools for them before sorry uh, what was the last statement so you we have we covered, covered we yeah. have not covered tools for buying groups before i agree we uh, i personally haven't seen so that's why i like it a lot because it's a very unique market very interesting needs and they are able to do it. um and that's how uh, you find success you niche down until you the, you know the competition is non-existent and you solve the problem and they are. Just to be careful, just because buying group is buying it and it's fit for them, it may not be a fit for you. So yep. you need to pay a little attention there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So they have described their capabilities, enterprise data management, flexible data module, all marketing allows customers to place orders directly through their own procurement system. This is a very standard B2B functionality that we have seen in most systems. So they have that punch out integration as well, which is wonderful. Um, data quality management is great, to be honest. I have not seen. Um, and they have a, a little automation there for that. So they are using the same database um, to validate the, the database that they are using to create the product content. Um, so obviously, they have done some 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 work there. Now, uh, I, I like this a lot as well. I think their analytics is, is slightly richer based on what we have seen in the other platform. This could be comparable to some of the enterprise platform. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think we saw this in case of um, SAP Commerce and some of the other ones as well. So I like the way the analytics is done. It's slightly more organized for B2B bias. Okay, so these are some of the case studies. So here they are saying maintain prop 65 product. And by the way, this is a very unique compliance. So I want to make sure that I'm touching on that. And again, compliance gets extremely tricky. So if you haven't figured out you know, what compliance needs you are going to have in your product, it could cost millions and millions of dollars uh, to build these capabilities in a vanilla platform. So when you are reviewing any of the product, make sure you are paying serious attention to compliance and how the platform is going to handle that. So here we are talking about the specific warning uh, at the product level, and then you are going to have millions and millions of SKUs. Uh, it becomes very hard 
Uh, and here, I remember we had very unique requirements for this compliance. So up to date product content that meets current regulations. So obviously, if you can't sell any of the expired products, I guess, you know, you have to show the warnings and the warning is going to be, this is spe specific to a chemical industry, uh, you know, chemicals. So obviously they must be doing really well in the chemical industry as well, chemical distributors. Go ahead, Robert. No, so Prop 65 has has uh, gone through all the, the entire e-commerce world. I mean, Amazon is notorious for having products um, blocked from being sold. And you look at it and go, how how is this applied to, to Prop 65, like a Bose speaker? And, you know, you're scratching your head, but they realize that it's the they are not proactive, they're going to get nailed. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, better safe than um, sorry, I guess. So let's see if I can cover one more slide, maybe a review, and then we can open up for the commentary. So here the review is saying 2021, mid-market 51,000 employees. They, the support has been sort of mixed reviews overall. Some people are happy about it because obviously it's not as expensive, but some people are complaining that it takes a hell lot of time. Uh, to get any sort of responses. And some people have complained that, you know what, sometimes the uh, result outcome could be catastrophic if they don't respond, because obviously you are getting penalized by Google if they don't fix something. So, you know, those issues are there with e-commerce platforms as well. Yeah, so overall, they didn't like the blog feature, the content they are not appreciating. I guess a lot of customers have reported that. What else do I have here? Yeah, I, I think... I like the, right. the comment on the right. Recommendations to others considering Unilog. Make sure you get comprehensive demos during Go Live <laughs> and write your own documentation for internal users. This will ensure a smoother transition and the ability to have a comprehensive feature list of the product. Could not agree more. And by the way, here you are talking about internal documentation. And when you are doing external documentation, are you going to rely on Unilog for that? <laughs> Unfortunately, <Good>. some do. <laughs> All right, Robert, any any more commentary? No, no, I, I, this was an interesting one, Sam. Kudos. Of course. So, uh, you know, I'll offer some commentary. We have two minutes right now. Um, so overall, I guess my take on this is uh, I don't think you are going to find as a strong product uh, if your expertise is not going to be content. Uh, most B2B e-commerce companies, they really struggle with content. That's their big, biggest problem. The content, data. That's where the biggest pain point is. And that's why they cannot go to e-commerce. So for them, this is a huge value that, okay, they are, even if they are charging $200,000 in my mind, okay, you can never do this. Uh, you know, so are, are you going to miss the bus for e-commerce? Um, so that's why I do feel that they have a significant value add here and they have a very unique uh, market offering for e-commerce. Um, and, you know, if you are part of the buying group, this is probably huge for you. In, in, uh, Robert, any, any follow-up comments there? You know, I, I think this has a very specific use case for the, the B2B company that has a significant number of parts that wants to try to get into e-commerce and they just have incomplete data, which is very, very common. Yep. And they look at it as being just unwieldy to try to overcome that hump. So this could be a way in. There are other companies that, that do data as well. If you're going to look at this purely from an e-commerce play, I wouldn't consider them because I, I think yeah. their their technology and their uh, usability is below par. So I think you know what you're looking at here is um, you know a very specific situation. They do have a B2C. It's called Bravo Business Media. Um, 
and we haven't reviewed that one yet. Sorry. Okay. So they bought another company. That's what you are referring to. And that's their B2C. My understanding of that solution was they were more of the store sales, the counter sales. That's what Bravo Media, they were targeting more of these, uh, you know, tile store, furniture store. Uh, well, that's, so that's B2C, right? So, yeah, so they, they do have a B2C um, arm. They may be using still the core data that they have, making the B2C simpler, but yeah. that's for a different conversation. Yeah, interesting insights. Uh, anything else, Robert, before we close? Nope. Awesome, guys. So that's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another um, topic or the vendor. On that note, thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. Good at all. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Robert Brown, head over to rgbecommerce.com. It's rgbecommerce.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Noemi Kiss who shares her insights into how the water industry works and how its sales cycle differs from other industries. Also, the interview with Megan Gamble, who shares her insights into building the systems for packaging industry. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.